Well, hello again, Sterling College. Uh, I am here with my good friend, uh, Ben. And, uh, and as I mentioned before, um, today is the, the anniversary of the passing of his mom, Kathy. And uh, I'm so excited to be able to be here to tell a little bit of Kathy's story and to have you all hear a little bit of Ben's story. Um, I've gotten to do this as Ben and I have developed a friendship this year. And I know, Ben, you've done this with, with many people that you're friends with. But we wanted to take this opportunity on the anniversary of your mom's passing to, to really platform um, this story and this message. And uh, so thanks for being here today. Yeah. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, absolutely. So Ben, just tell maybe a little bit of the story, both of who you are and your journey with, mm -hmm. with your mom, both kind of in life, but then uh, even in her passing as well. Uh, let us know a little bit about that story. So I was very close to my mom um, because I was homeschooled and we lived on a farm. And, right near here, um, right in yeah, central Kansas, yeah. yeah. And so um, I was close with my siblings, close with my mom. Um, I learned a lot from her, um, spent all of my time with them. Um, and so she always um, emphasized, you know, people and relationships and impacting people's lives. Um, she saw us as arrows for the kingdom of heaven, mm. and she wanted us to impact um, other people and she encouraged us as little kids to be um, very friendly to strangers mm. um, <laughs> I was profoundly known for that <laughs> which maybe transfers still yeah. to today um, and to trust people and um, so growing up was an amazing experience in that way um, and then when I was about 10 she got cancer um, and she decided to do a natural route instead of um, the conventional method. Um, and she was healed. Wow. And uh, we got test results back saying mm -hmm. that she was healed. And it was that way for about 10 years. Um, and then here, um, a year and a half ago, she started to feel more pain in her back and her neck. Um, and then nine weeks before she passed away, we actually learned that she had stage four cancer. Um, and it was, it kind of came back with vengeance. Yeah, it moved quickly. Um, but we had that time to spend with her and to focus on um, the relationships that mattered. And um, I got so much time to, to spend with her because mm -hmm. I was off of school, off yeah, of work of at that point. Um, and she was just like, so happy in the midst of excruciating pain. She had, um, she had like multiple broken bones from the cancer yeah. and um, a bulging disc in her neck, but she was always had a smile, mm. um, or almost always. There were times when it was yeah. extremely painful, but she almost always had a smile and she was just a beam of light. Mm. And she was really a window of heaven um, to me and helped me see heaven in kind of a little glimpse of it. Yeah, yeah, I know at different points, Ben, you've said that even it gave you, a, I love that, a, a window into heaven. It gave you a glimpse into eternity. Mm -hmm. And and the first time that you got to tell me this story and I was able to listen and just hear about your mom and kind of this whole journey, I was so struck by the unshakable hope that you have 
in heaven, which is what the Bible talks about, where, and actually the final picture of heaven is that heaven comes to earth, yeah. right? And earth is remade, yeah. and we actually get to live forever with, with everyone who was in Jesus. And we know your mom, yeah. Kathy, was in Jesus. And, and that came through so powerfully in the story when I got to hear it from you. So talk, talk about the hope of heaven that you have, that you're going to get to live with your mom forever yeah. one day. Well, you know, Jesus Christ saved me from my sins when I was 14 years old. Um, I made a decision to follow him, and he changed my life. Mm -hmm. And I know that that change is real. I saw it in my mom. I saw it in other people, um, and he made it real in me. And um, he promises me that not because of any righteousness that I have done, but because of his love for me um, and his son covering my sins on the cross um, with his blood, I have that eternal hope. Mm. And I just want to share that with everybody else that I can. Mm. And um, I really don't care about anything else in life. Mm. Mm. Thank you, Ben. I love that. Can I pray for you and pray for the rest of our students here too? Father in heaven, thank you for Bevan. For Ben, for Ben, my son is Bevan. Not, I'm thankful for Bevan too. Uh, But right now I'm really thankful for my friend, Ben. Um, and gosh, I hope my son Bevan grows up to have a faith like the one that I see in my friend Ben. That would be a joy to me if my sons could have an unshakable hope of heaven because of what your son Jesus did for them. I pray for Ben and his family today. I know it's probably a hard day in some ways, um, given that it's a year after this very hard event, but I know in the midst of that, they found a lot of hope because of Jesus. And so I pray for them, Lord, I pray for all of us, that you would be with us, that you would draw us near to yourself, and that all of us could find the same hope that we see so clearly in Ben. Thank you for your son, Jesus, who makes that hope possible. We pray all this in his name. Amen. Thanks, Ben. Thank you. Because you are one of the first people I met on campus, and uh, I did really appreciated your friendliness, your outgoingness towards me, um, clearly demonstrating that from your mom, and also just the hope that you clearly demonstrated in Jesus, too, and the way you speak about him in our conversations in the library. Uh, I've really deeply appreciated it. Uh, and, and this morning, it's a privilege to get to be here and to preach, especially thinking about the, your, your mom's death a year ago, Kathy, and to speak about the hope that we have in Jesus. Uh, so as we jump into that, I, I want to pray one more time, and then we'll, we'll talk about Jesus and who he is. Lord, you are immensely good to us, so kind, so generous, and you give us so much hope. And things like death and losing a loved one, they can weigh us down. Um, it can be blinding to your character, to your kindness. But I ask, Father, in the name of Jesus, you'd just be unveiled today. Just be really clear how good you are to us and your kindness That's what we want to focus on. So I ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. I want to start in a bit of an odd place. You might have heard her music when you were coming in, but Billie Eilish, she's doing all right right now. She's... Yeah, she's doing great. So she recently won five Grammys, five Grammys, and she's the first woman and youngest person ever to win all four major categories, best album, best record, best song, and best new artist. So it's like pretty good for Billie Eilish at the moment. So one of her songs, Bury a Friend, though, you might have seen or or listened to this. She pictures herself as the monster under the bed, and she's asking the question, when we all fall asleep, where do we go? 
where do we go? And so it seems like she's talking about more than just sleep as the song title hints bury a friend. And it's hard to really categorize this song or Billie Eilish herself in a kind of a neat category that's just about sleep or just about death. But you kind of get this vague reckoning with death through this song and a kind of Billie Eilish classic nonchalant embrace of death as she sings these lines like, I can't like her, but I want to end me. I want to, I want to, I want to end me. And I, I got to give Billie this, though, that she's asking questions about death that most people aren't willing to consider. And, and more than that, she's got this nonchalant embrace, this stoic embrace of death down. But, but if I was going to come to a funeral for a friend and encourage a loved one, I don't think it's going to be Billie Eilish that I quote or recommend to them. It's not going to be her that's on my lips. Which makes me wonder, what do we say to people in the midst of grief, at a funeral, at the side of a friend? What do we say to them that's not just empty and cliche, but actually full of hope? And how, do we have, how do we have real victory over death? So the question I want to look at is, how, how do we bury death? How does that happen? And to answer this question, I want to look at a story of Jesus that happens in John chapter 11. So if you have a Bible and want to open up, please follow along. I'm just going to walk through and tell this story and make some observations about Jesus and his response to death, who he is and his response to death. So you might be familiar that Jesus had 12 disciples that he was very close to, but these weren't the only people that followed Jesus and listened to his teaching. He had others throughout Israel where he was. And three of these people that were particularly close to Jesus was a man named Lazarus and his two sisters, Martha and Mary. And they lived in a small little town called Bethany that was about two miles south of Jerusalem, which is the capital right in the middle of Israel. And Jesus lived pretty far away up in the north in an area called Nazareth, and it, Nazareth, and it would have been a couple-day walk to get down to Jerusalem for the main feast. So when he was down there, it seems like Jesus probably stayed with Lazarus and his two sisters, Martha and Mary, very close with them. But one day Jesus gets word that Lazarus is very sick. Martha and Mary, they tell him, Lord, the one you love is sick. The one you love is sick. Now, for most of us, when we hear that someone we care about is near death, our response is to quickly rush to their side, correct? We want to go be with them. But that's not Jesus' response. Look, look what he does here in verse 5. I have it on a screen for you. As Jesus hears this, says, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So, catch this, because he loves them, not just kind of a general love for humanity, but each one of them, Lazarus, Martha, and Mary, because he loves them, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. So because he loves them and cares about them, he intentionally and purposefully delays. He leaves the people he loves hanging in the balance rack. And again, for you and I, when we hear that someone we care about and love is near death, we're quick to rush to their side to go be with them. 
We want to get all the last moments we can. We want to share our last words with them because we know when death comes, death has the final word. Death has the final word. So we want to share all we can. We want to speak all we can because we know when death comes, it has the final word. But Jesus responds so differently. Jesus is not in a rush. He's not panicking. He's not trying to find emergency solutions because Jesus knows that for him, death is not irreversible. I love this about him. He knows death is not irreversible and that death does not have the final word for him, but rather Jesus does. Jesus has the final word. And so when you are the one who has created all things by the word of your mouth, when everything is created by you and for you and you hold all things together, as Paul said from Colossians the other day, all things are held together by you, then you don't blink at death. It doesn't rattle you. You're not on death's timeline trying to catch up with it. Death answers to you. You have the final word. So Jesus and his pause and slowing down is trying to communicate, I'm not like you. I'm not hurried by death. I'm not living in fear or answering to death. That's not how I operate. I love this so much. So what looks like cruelty in Jesus and his intentional and purposeful delay is actually him demonstrating his kindness. I'll say it again. Jesus, what looks like cruelty in him at times and in our lives and his delay is actually him demonstrating his kindness that is not death that has the final word, but Jesus, but Jesus, amen. So he comes in, <laughs> and he waits these two days with his disciples. As I mentioned before, it's a couple-day journey down to Bethany. And when Jesus gets close to arriving, Martha hears this, and she quickly leaves and comes to Jesus, and she says to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died, which is a pretty heartbreaking phrase. It's pretty close to saying, Jesus, my brother's death is your fault. So she's pretty honest with Jesus in this moment. And then she adds to it, but even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask for. If you're Jesus in this moment, how, how do you respond? How do you comfort her? How do you care for her? Again, for most of us, we have these kind of stock phrases like, our thoughts and our prayers are with you. We say things like, I'm sorry for your loss. And these can be genuinely good things to say in the moment. It's hard to comfort someone. And it's so difficult to give comfort to someone who's grieving because we really can't do anything to fix the problem that they're in the midst of. The very thing they need is for their loved one to come back, but we can't do anything about that. We can't fix that problem. So the best thing we have that we can give is merely our sympathy. That's all we have. But again, Jesus is so different. He says to Martha, your brother will rise again from the dead, which is some beautiful foreshadowing, by the way. And Martha, she's like, I know that he will rise one day at the resurrection of the dead, kind of like, yeah, yeah, Jesus, I know, I know that one day he'll rise again. But she doesn't quite get the magnitude of what Jesus is communicating. So Jesus presses in more. Look at this, verse 5, 25, rather. Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. 
The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? I am the resurrection and the life. What an interesting way to comfort her. Like, he, he could just say, no, Martha, Martha, look, look. Like, you could take a 20-minute nap, and Lazarus is going to be back in just a little bit. Like, I'm about to raise him from the dead. How comforting would that be, right? Just wait a little bit, Martha. You have no idea. I'm about to bring your brother back from the dead. Just wait a little bit. Hang on. It's going to be fine. But rather than telling her that, he makes it about himself, and he says, Martha, what you most need to know is that I am the resurrection and that I am the life. Which says to me that the comfort that we most need is the person and the presence of Jesus. In every circumstance in our life, the comfort we most need is the person and the presence of Jesus. So that he's saying, look, Martha, the resurrection is not just a one-day thing hanging out there in the future. The resurrection is standing right here in front of your face. And the life isn't just the one day, hopefully will come after death. The life is right now talking to you. That's the comfort that Jesus brings to Martha. Man, there's no one like him. I love that in following Jesus, I'm not just following someone with clever teachings. I'm following the author of life. I'm following the resurrection. Now, he has everything we need. So he comforts Martha with the truth of who he is. And she leaves, she goes back home, and she tells her sister Mary, Jesus has come, and he wants to see you. So Mary quickly gets up and comes to Jesus, and she's in such a rush to see him that people think that she's been overcome with grief and is rushing to the grave, but she's just (laughs) eager to see Jesus. And when she gets there, she falls at his feet and begins to weep. And says the very same thing as Martha. She says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But Jesus' response is not the same this time. It's not the same. He gave truth to Martha. He told her the power of who he is. But the comfort that Mary needs is different, so Jesus is just present with her. He's just there. He just weeps with her. So the comfort we need is Jesus' person, but it's also his presence. It's his presence. He knows how to comfort us each individually. See, if God knows, knows when you sit and when you rise, if he knows your thoughts from afar, if he made you and knows everything about you, has numbered the hairs on your head, then he also surely knows how to comfort you individually in the grief that you're facing. And not just your grief, but if you're in the midst of loneliness, you're in the midst of anxiety, overwhelmed with school, I do not know. But I do know that Jesus is going to know how to address your need. He's going to know how to speak to you. I love this in John's gospel. Jesus is always saying, I'm the door. I'm the bread of life. I'm the light of the world. I'm what you need I'm the resurrection and the life. He's making it about himself because he knows that he's our refuge. He's our solution. He's our source. So no matter what you're in the midst of, what kind of grief, what kind of weight you're carrying that no one else might know about, Jesus is exactly, exactly what you need. 
he can speak into that. So he knows how to address our individual grief. But after comforting Martha and also Mary, Jesus now knows it's time to deal with death. So he asks the people there, he says, where have you laid him? Where have you laid Lazarus? And they take him to the grave, and Jesus comes there, and he says, roll away the stone. And you know, like, Jesus has got something epic in mind. And Martha's like, Jesus, like, you might have lost your mind a bit. It has been four days, and there's surely a bad odor by now. And Jesus is like, Martha, Martha, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? Like, all right, it's hard to answer that. So they roll away the stone. And then Jesus begins to pray, and he says, Father, I love his prayer. He says, Father, I know that you have heard me. He has such confidence when he talks to the Father. Father, I know that you have heard me, and I know that you always hear me, but I say this for the benefit of those standing here, that they may know that you sent me. They may know that you sent me. So he's just praying for other people's benefit. And then he, he then says this in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And it's amazing that the same God who spoke the universe into existence, the same God who said, let there be light, and there was light, is the same God who now says, Lazarus, come out, and has the same result. Lazarus, the dead man, comes out of the grave walking. And he's still wrapped up in these grave clothes, and he still has a cloth on his face, but death has been unraveled. Death has been unraveled. Can you imagine being the people there that day, like seeing Lazarus, a dead man, come out of the grave four days later? Like, what in the world? Like someone coming out of a coffin, that just would be so shocking. The power of God just demonstrated to you. Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? This is often where we end the story, but it's actually kind of where it's just beginning. A couple days later, Sometime later, Jesus returns because Lazarus and Mary and Martha, they're throwing a dinner for Jesus. Because, like, what do you do for someone who just raised you from the dead, right? Like, oh, like, thank you, Jesus, for raising me. Sincerely, Lazarus. I don't know. What do you do? Like, write a note? So they throw a dinner. I think it's a good idea. And at this dinner, Mary brings out this really expensive perfume. And she breaks it and she pours it out over Jesus' feet and begins to wipe his feet with her hair. It's this very intimate moment. The whole room would have just been instantly filled with the smell of this perfume. It would have been powerful. And one of Jesus' disciples, Lazarus, not Lazarus, but Judas, who is about to betray him, he gets frustrated by this because he knows, man, this perfume was so expensive, like a year's worth of money that you just poured out on Jesus' feet. We could have used this for the poor. And Jesus challenges Judas, and he says this in verse 7 of chapter 12. He says, leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. My burial. So Jesus knows this is a lot more than getting one man out of the grave. This is about swallowing the grave in victory. He knows this is a lot more than getting one man, Lazarus, up from the dead. He knows this is about getting all who believe in him up from the dead. And so he's talking about his burial. 
his burial. What do I mean? The reason death has come into the world in the first place is because of our sin. That all of us have rebelled against God, have gone our own way, and so because of that, we're separated from the life of God. We're no longer connected to him, and so death is the penalty that every single one of us has. Death is the wages, the payment, the result of sin. So Jesus knows if I'm going to take away the power of death, then I need to undo the power of sin. So he comes in order to suffer and to die and to take our sin upon himself so that he can pay for the penalty of sin, so that it would be crucified in him and would no longer be counted against me or would be counted against you. He's intending to pay for it completely. So then when he's buried in the grave, when he's wrapped up in those grave clothes, it's not just him that's laid to rest in the grave. It's the power of sin and death too. They go in the grave with him. And three days later, the resurrection is resurrected. And the life is raised back to life. But when Jesus walks out of the grave, he leaves the power of sin and death still in there. Because he actually buried death. That's what Jesus accomplished. It wasn't just his own death, not just him suffering for sin. He was ending the reign of death that's been over all of us. So that now we have real hope. Now we have real victory. So death is defeated. Sin is silenced. And Christ is risen. That's what we believe. And as Paul read these words this morning, I want to read it again. Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, we have the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So this is what we have in Jesus when we trust in him, when we rely on him, when we look to him. That it's no longer a fear of death and looking forward in my life or those around me. I know I have the victory because I've been found in him. I'm found in him. So my question is, what is your relationship to death? It's something. It's something. You can, you can have this nonchalant kind of stoic embrace of death like Billie Eilish. Or you can be found in Jesus, trusting in him for your actual victory that the power of sin has been atoned for, it's been covered, it's been done away with, and the power of death has been broken on your life. It's only in Jesus, only in Jesus. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you again for the truth of your word, the power of your word, and what you've done for us, Jesus, that we don't have to live in fear, we don't have to grieve like other people grieve, even if it's still heavy to lose a loved one, Lord, I'm sure, for Ben losing his mom, Kathy. But God, you give us hope and you give us your person, you give us your presence. So we'd lean on that. So I again ask, Father, in the name of Jesus, would you unveil this, not just to the minds of these students, but also to their hearts. It would be real and alive to them. I ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.